When you think of the words correction, rebuke, reproof, why would Christians, why would that be important to Christians? Stay on track. Stay on track. Anything else? That's what the Word of God does in our life. It's something that's part of life, isn't it? No matter what we do. It's, it's interesting that you said that. When you think about that, I just wanted to talk about one of the rebukes in the Bible before we started. When you turn to Acts chapter 8, you see in verse 5 that Philip is going to Samaria to preach, and he preaches to the people there, which included Simon the sorcerer, as we always say. And Simon was well held, even from the least to the greatest, and I'm paraphrasing through here, that his magic was important to the people. They thought it was great. But when Philip is preaching to them, their minds are changed. And they believed what Philip, they believed his signs, they believed his miracles, and men and women, it says in this chapter, were baptized. And the interesting part is that Simon also believed and was baptized. Now, there are some Calvinistic people that believe that he really didn't, didn't have the faith because what happens later is Peter and John come on the scene uh, because the Holy Spirit had not, they had not received the Holy Spirit. And when Simon saw this, that these apostles could touch someone and it could be transferred, what did he do? Do you remember? He wanted to buy it. Well, Peter rebuked him. He says, this is not a commodity, is it? This isn't something that you go to the shelf and pick up what you want. And uh, in verse 20 of chapter 8, it says, when Peter, Peter said to him, your money perished with you because you, you thought that the gift of God could be purchased with money. Verse 21, you have neither part nor portion in this matter, for your heart is not right. But he doesn't stop there. He said, your heart is not right in the sight of God. And then he tells him something important. He says, repent, therefore, of your wickedness and pray God, if perhaps the thought of your heart may be forgiven. And he talks about him being poisoned by bitterness and by iniquity, by sin. And he asked to pray for him. This was a, an account that he needed to be told an answer, didn't he? He needed to be guided on the right path, as we talked about last time. And Peter, as you know, because he's impetuous, went directly to the point, didn't he? He didn't mess around. A good example for us to think about on, on rebuking. Any comments about that? What uh, David said was kind of what this particular verse in Proverbs 6.23, it says, For the commandment is a lamp and the law a light. Reproofs of instruction are a way of life. And when I saw that, I kind of take it not only for us, when we think of it biblically, 
But secondly, we, we're told sometimes we're wrong, aren't we? And we have to correct it. And the same thing with us as far as being Christians. Sometimes we have to be corrected. This is not fun, is it? It's not always the easiest thing to do. And when you think about it, uh, and you think about what needs to be done, what is the first thing we usually think about when we think about correction? And I'm going to get to it in a second. The rebuke and reproof comes from Wilson's Old Testament word studies that talks about curb, chastise, the insolent, unruly, correct, refute, censure, to punish, admonish, warn, which we, we kind of know that, don't we? We understand but we'll go into it a little deeper here in a minute or two. When we take this, what do we usually think of first? What do you think of when you think of Proverbs and you think about discipline? Let's say it that way. Child rearing. Child rearing. Well, that's the first thing you think about, isn't it? When you think of the child, because what do you think of? What verses? Use the stick and beat them, right? In Proverbs 13, 24, <laughs> I didn't say that. <laughs> Proverbs 13, 24. Something that we're used to in Proverbs 13 and 24, it says, He who spares his rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him when? Promptly. So here's a situation that if you discipline them promptly, it's an act of love, but if you spare the rod according to this, you hate the child. When you go a little farther and you look at Proverbs 29 and 15, Proverbs 29 15. It says, the rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. So here is this rebuking or this discipline, and I put it equals wisdom, and left to himself equals shame. Is that fair to say for children? <laughs> Exactly. And the teachers today have to act differently with these children, don't they? Somebody asked me one time, they said, why are there so many crimes? Why is it that there's burglaries and forgeries and stuff like this and robberies and homicides? And we would do a what we call a home protection or a uh, a talk on, on what the ladies needed to do at the bank as far as protection. And I said, well, I, I have to step out of what I have slides on and tell you it's the breakdown of the family, isn't it? It's the breakdown. I'm, I'm not just talking about this. I'm talking about the family has taken this out of their life, haven't they? And 
just like several of you did, most of those ladies in that class were nodding their heads. And when you think about this, there's a lot of wisdom from Solomon here that probably came from his dad because his dad said to have this humility, didn't he? Take care of, of this. It's important. Let's just look at a couple of other verses unless there's any comments. Any comments? If you go to Proverbs 19 and verse 18, it says, Chasten your son while there is hope, and do not set your heart on his destruction. You know, I, I guess I've never read that verse in conjunction with this child, but when you're talking about discipline or chasten, same thing, it's telling you and I that we need to do it, don't we? We need to be constant. And when we do it, it's something that we need to do right now when there's a problem, don't we? And here it says, you know, don't, don't give up because of destruction or whatever. And here, here we are on correction with a child. And these children that we have back in these classes, they're the future of this church, aren't they? Or, or whichever church they end up at. They'll be the future elders, wives of elders, deacons, on up, won't they? So it's important that they understand the concept. Let's look at 22.15, just a couple of pages over. Proverbs 22.15. This is very true of my two boys. 22.15, foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction will drive it far from him. Um, I have to tell a story real quick because Deborah's in the parking lot, so I don't see her frown. But I got so irritated at Adam. I went out in the garage, took a two by four, cut it up, drilled some holes in it, sanded it down, and I made a paddle. In fact, I could use both hands if I wanted to. I came in the house. She looked at me. She said, I don't, I don't mind you. Spanking him. Just don't kill him. I took the piece of wood and threw it away. You know, yeah, the foolishness of a child can drive you crazy, can't it? And we have to understand how this discipline works, that how we handle it, they're going to watch us because they're the future of that discipline, aren't they? And how we handle it can be important. Any comments about this so far? I picked on the children first. Correction, rebuke, reproof. You grow in wisdom. In 1531 of Proverbs, Proverbs 1531, I use the NIV on this, but I'll read it out of the New King, James. It says, the ear that hears the reproof of life which goes back to what David said, will, will abide among the wise. How, how can you say that it's going to make you wise to be reproved or rebuked? 
Any guesses? Says something about your character that you're open to listening to it. It means you're receptive, right? Receptive to the fact that somebody is trying to convey that you messed up. And there's wisdom in the way we handle that. Um, and, and I put on here you grow in wisdom by listening to people because sometimes we make mistakes and someone hadn't corrected and you go, oh, I messed up. I need to correct that, don't I? So there is a wisdom part of it because what is the old story? You learn from past history, don't you? You learn the, by the histori historical mistakes of what you should and shouldn't do. Another part of this is the love of God and the earthly father. When you go back to Proverbs 3, well-known verse here that we all go to, Proverbs 3, 11 and 12. It says, My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor detest His correction. For whom the Lord hates, He corrects. Just as a father, the son in whom He is happy. No, it says... The Lord loves who He corrects, doesn't He? We come into the relationship in God's kingdom that says we have believed, we've repented of our sins, we've accepted Jesus as the Savior, we've confessed Him before men. There's witnesses that saw this, right? And we were immersed for the remission of our sins. Well, with that comes the fact that with this love of God that sometimes we make mistakes because we are men and women versus God, aren't we? We can't always be right. And with that, here is this love that he corrects, the same thing with the father because Many times a father will <laughs> spank the child and say, I love you, won't they? Why do they do that? Because it's good for them to know what's wrong, to, to change it, right? Lord has to chasten us if we need to be changed. What I'm getting to is members of his kingdom, we have the beauty of pardon, don't we? We make a mistake, we can repent, can't we? We make a mistake, we can pray for repentance. We can make that change. And the Lord loves who He corrects. A lot of people think, well, and we'll talk a little bit more about it, this isn't a case, but here it is. Don't despise the chastening of the Lord, nor detest His correction. If you go to Hebrews chapter 12, Hebrews chapter 12, In Hebrews chapter 12, look at, let's look at verses 3 through 7. Hebrews 12, 3 through 7. It says, For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, 
lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. You have not yet resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin. Verse 5, And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. Then it's the verse 7. It says, If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with who? Sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? Do you want to be treated as a son of God? We've got to accept what? Rebuke. Chastening. If you go a little bit farther, just go in the same chapter of Hebrews 12 and look at verse 11. Hebrews 12 and verse 11, just a little farther down. Now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present. Who in here likes to be disciplined, corrected, reproved, rebuked, talked to ugly? Raise your hand. I didn't think so. Now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been what, does your Bible say? trained by it. So this just doesn't come all of a sudden as something that comes over you. You and I need to be trained on how we react, don't we? We need to understand what the Bible says about discipline. We need to understand with brothers or sisters, with rebuking, what is it that we're getting to? But here it says we need to be trained by it. When you go back to the Old Testament, um, Brian went through this, and I think he even made mention to it, but in Deuteronomy 8 and verse 5, Deuteronomy 8 and verse 5, up in, in the top part it says in verse 2, and you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way <clears throat> these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you and to test you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. So he humbled you in verse 3. But when you come down to verse 5, it says, So you should know in your heart that as a man chastens his son, so the Lord your God does what to you? Even though he's brought you through the wilderness, he's going to chasten you, isn't he? Any comments on this so far? Yes, sir. I think it's important. There's, there's no one we could look at probably in Scripture that we say is a faithful son or daughter of God that doesn't have this training or chastening of some kind. This is what God does to help us. You can go back to the Garden of Eden. Before there is even sin... He is, he's chastening Adam and Eve, saying, I'm gonna, here's a tree, here are the rules. Will you trust me enough to follow them? I mean, he is working on them and training them, and he, he doesn't spare Jesus from it either. He, the Spirit drives him to be tempted. He, he deals with so much even before the cross and then the cross. This is what the Father does 
and not just because he's upset with us that we didn't listen to him, because he is trying to build us up to something better. And, and you make a great point. He gave them a choice, and he didn't change anything or try to do anything with that choice. They had to make that choice, and they chose not to, to follow. Go ahead. Hey, kind of building off what Alan's saying, I think from what I can recall, a lot of times when the Lord comes on the scene, his discipline is not, hey, you're a bad person. Now, now go figure out what I mean by that. Like he's very he's specific. Like if you look at um, uh, the churches in uh, Revelation or like in Laodicea, he even says, those I love, I rebuke. And before that, he tells them exactly what their problem is. You're not hot or cold, you're lukewarm. You need to get out of that state. So I think it's a message for us who have kids who do the disciplining and those who, of us who receive discipline from the Lord is it's, it's not okay, just this whitewashed, you're a bad person. Like, focus on specifically what you need to do to improve. And us who are parents, we, I don't just need to say, Caleb, you messed up, therefore you're bad. No, give him specifics around the discipline that he needs because that's the only way you really drive out foolishness, one, one bite at a time, right? Good, great points. Anything else? I put on here, what is the danger in life without corrective influences? And down there it says Proverbs 19.27. And it says, cease listening to instruction, my son, and you will stray from the words of knowledge. When a person does not have this corrective influence, what do they basically say to themselves? I can do what I want to do, can't I? I'm on my own. I can make these decisions. The same thing I put up here, they're above criticism. They end up being their own judges, and um, especially of right and wrong, don't they? Now, I'm not just talking about children. <laughs> I'm talking about us, too, right? And when we think about this danger, we have to remember the Lord's word. It's, he, he says, the people that are my people need to follow what I say. Isn't that what he says? If you do my commandments, what do I do? I care about you, don't I? You're part of it. When a person separates themselves and will not take this correction, they've basically said, possibly, I, I don't want to go by what this says. I, I don't want to do what they said in Deuteronomy that we know he's going to chasten us. I don't want to be part of that because I'm smarter. And when that happens, you've taken the place of God, haven't when they do that. And that's not what correction and reproof is. It's to get you back on the path, isn't it? It's to get us back on the path of life, isn't it? Just between the wicked and the wisdom. You want to go on the wisdom path? It's a small path. It's not fun, is it? All the time. And it's lonely sometimes. But we have to understand that that's part of life. Any comments about this? Go ahead, Bill. I'd, I'd make one 
one comment to that. Like in that discipline kind of exercise, there's underlying assumptions that sometimes we often forget. Like God has created us, provides us the air that we breathe. Like I, I don't think you meant it this way, but I'd modify something you said about God uh, caring for us uh, if we if we listen to what He says. He already care, He already cares for us in immeasurable ways before we even get to the discipline part. He sent His Son to be to die and be raised from the dead. So we even have a shot at this. So we have to remember. It's hard to remember that when being disciplined. Like, hey, I'm coming to you with this action, but before this, I've created you, given you life even given us the opportunity to have this have this interaction. Good point. Right? Hey, David. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Just to add what he said, um, you know, the, being able to realize that there's somebody that has more wisdom than myself, whether it's you or whether it's God, and God's ways, he says, God's ways are higher, much higher than man's ways. And, and just having the, the, the realization and the humility, it really comes down to humility of being able to accept that, that somebody else has more wisdom than I do and, and I should listen to what they have to say and, and accept reproof when necessary. There, there's always someone that has more wisdom than we do. Always, and, always. and especially God, especially, exactly. and, and his ways are not our ways. And, and once, when, if people would realize that, then we'd be in a lot better shape all, all around, I think. Good point. Excellent point. Anybody else? Proverbs 9.8 says, Do not correct a scoffer lest he hate you. Rebuke a wise man, and what will he do? He will love you. What is a scoffer? Any ideas? One who has no use for wisdom. Let me see if I know. I didn't put it up here. He has no use for wisdom. Good point. A lot of them are people that will be very vocal about disagreeing with you and not accepting what you say and theirs is the only way. And that's what a scoffer will do. It'll be not just to keep it in as passive-aggressive, but he'll just shout it out. You know, you're wrong and all this stuff. You can't deal with them. They're hard to deal with. But it says the wise man will take it under account, and it'll be important to him. Do you think that's true? When you think about correction, rebuke, reproof, and you want to actually measure wisdom, how do you do that? You measure something, you have to have standards. Standards? So we have to have something to go by that tells us what what we're measuring and how to measure it. If we've got the Word of God, what I think part of it is, is what is the response to the rebuke? I'm talking about adults. <laughs> what is the usual response? 
to discipline or correction or rebuke? Do what? Anger. Anger. Defensive. Defensive. I put on here common responses, hatred and insult, isn't it? Is that what wisdom is in Proverbs? It's hard to get around that, isn't it? It's hard for us to think about ourselves and because what really happens most of the time is as soon as we're approached, what happens? Our fur comes up, doesn't it? That's natural, isn't it? And maybe it's because the Lord's people, as Bill has said, we all understand we're part of the kingdom. We all understand that we hold the same rights, men and women. But maybe it's the way it's approached, isn't it? Because there is a certain part of it that says meekness, isn't there, with this, that you can still tell a brother or sister that there's sin in their life and tell it to them in a way that can tell, like Bill says, you can get right to the point like Peter does with, with Simon, but yet you can do it in a way that says, I love you, right? Because that's what the real problem is. You want their soul, don't you, to go the right path and to go to heaven? And that's not always easy, is it? This isn't a fun part of it, is it, of what the Lord does? And, and when you think about that and you think about what you say and how you go about saying it, we've got to remember they're Christians too, just like you and I. They might have been through more than what we understand. We might not know the whole story, right? We might not have all the facts. We might not have direct proof so we have to be careful. Any comments about this so far? It goes back to humility, doesn't it? And understanding, that's part of wisdom. When you look at Proverbs 10, 17, Proverbs 10, 17, it says, He who keeps instruction is in the way of life, but he who refuses reproof goes astray. And I put the wise on the right side and the, those that refuse the rebuke or the reproof or the correction, they go astray or they cause others to err too. But those on the wise side understand it's part of life, isn't it? It's part of what we deal with on a daily basis. When you go to Proverbs 13 and verse 18, Proverbs 13 and verse 18. Poverty and shame will come to him who disdains correction, but he who regards reproof will be what? He'll be honored. There is a part of this that the Lord knows everything about us, doesn't He? He knows what our attitude is. He knows what our response is. He knows what the conditions are, and He knows if we're in sin or not. 
how we handle that, how we handle being told about sin, He knows, doesn't He? And here, it's the difference between shame and honor. And again, it's not always easy, is it? If you just go back one chapter into chapter 12 and verse 1, Proverbs 12 and verse 1, I put up here, um, the um, American Standard Version says brutish and mine says something different. It says, whoever loves instruction loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof, mine says, is stupid. American Standard Version says he's brutish, like a beast. He's a person that, you know, he's, he's failing. He's not using his senses like he should. But the other side is he ends up loving knowledge. I've learned something from that. I've learned something. I've learned that I have to have humility, as, as was spoken earlier. That part of life of getting this reproof is to understand you can choose two ways. You can refuse it or you can accept it. Probably when you look at churches today, there are some churches today that don't discipline. They fall on, the, on a side that's different than what the Lord said in, in the Bible. It doesn't. I mean, pretty, pretty plain. And we need to think about how we do it. When you go further... It says, open rebuke is better than love carefully concealed. What do you think this means? Do you think that from what we've talked about tonight, that that you're going to love a brother or sister when you hold back and you don't help them? That's the way I take that that you're thinking, well, hmm, I love this person, but I'm not sure. Well, it doesn't hurt to talk to them, does it? Because that open rebuke shows love. When you look at another verse that I put up here, it says, he who rebukes a man will find more favor afterwards than he who flatters with the tongue kind of goes back to what Bill was saying before. You know, you get to the point, you understand, and many times the person's going to appreciate it, aren't they? They're going to say, I didn't realize that. I didn't realize I was doing that. And we need to understand as Christians that we're all Christians and we can talk to each other, can't we? but sometimes we don't do it. Any comments about these two verses? Well, I've kind of hit on some some hard things. What are the benefits? Look at Proverbs 29 and verse 1. Proverbs 29 and verse 1.
In 29 verse 1 it says, He who is often reproved and hardens his neck will suddenly be destroyed and that without remedy. If the person will not accept the rebuke, which way are they going? I'm, I'm talking about an honest reproof or, or honest correction. Which way are they going? They're going down the road of wickedness, aren't they? They're going down the road of destruction, aren't they? And here, if, if we understand the importance of it, it'll spare you from that disaster of hellfire, right? When you go to the next part, Proverbs 15. In Proverbs 15, in verse 31 and 32. Proverbs 15, 31 and 32. The year that hears the reproof of life will abide among the wise. He who disdains instruction despises his own soul, but he who heeds reproof gets understanding. So if we understand it, it comes back to wisdom. It comes back to our lessons about understanding. And it comes back that there is a benefit there for us to have this humility to accept that we're human beings and we're wrong sometimes, right? That's not right, is it? That we're wrong comes back to what was said at first, too. If you go back to Proverbs 10 and verse 17. 10 and verse 17. It says, He who keeps instruction is in the way of life, but he who refuses reproof goes astray. And we've talked about this. When you talk about somebody going astray, what does that mean to us from a biblical standpoint? Does it mean that they're just completely lost? It's, yep. It's, it's going down a path, isn't it? It's a gradual thing. You remember that when you think about this and we think about going over a waterfall, the closer we get to the waterfall, what is it? Harder it is to get back, isn't it? And it's hard to, to make that change because most of the people that are in the boat don't realize they're moving, do they? They don't realize that they're moving into that dangerous area. And it's tough. Any comments on the benefits? Okay, now the tough part. Open question here. Why do we as Christians shy away from correcting others? I don't want to hurt their feelings. Don't want to hurt their feelings. Well, we've got the speck in the eye, plank in the eye. And what if they say something about my life? Next. And I'll put up what I've got. Yeah, uh, kind of what was already said. None of us are perfect, right? But I think a lot of us have probably seen or heard of situations that went very badly. 
and absolutely and, and we kind of avoid it for that reason anything else Fear. what did you say Fear. He, he wins tonight first go ahead I think it's hard to admit but it might be because we do not love them enough good very good point the first one I put up here Bruce wins the uh, gold award is fear factor I think sometimes we just have an open fear that says they're my brother they're my sister how are they going to react another one that I put in is sin in our own lives which kind of comes back to the speck but I'll come to that too when you think about sin in our own life do you remember when the Lord, when they brought the lady that was caught in the very act of what? Adultery. My first question has always been, where's the man? And what did Jesus tell them? He said, any of you without sin, I'm paraphrasing, throw the first stone, right? And then how did they leave? the oldest with the wisdom to the youngest, right? Did he say you haven't sinned? No, he said go and sin no more. So it wasn't that he gave it up, but they were testing it. And they didn't think about the sin in their lives. Going back to what Bill said, in Matthew 7, 1, there is a constant feeling not only with different people in the brotherhood that the first thing they say is, what are you doing? Judging. And when you, you know, look at that, it's exactly what Bill had just said. Are you looking at the speck in your eye? <laughs> or rather the log? Because biblically, we know that in, in 2 Peter, when you think about this, that the civil courts are there for a reason, aren't they? We know that people walking disorderly in 2 Thessalonians, those need to be taken care of. But when we talk about judgment like this, this is judgment without examination is the way I take it. It's saying that I've pre judged the person hadn't even thought about examining what the issues are and as a result I'm on a fault finding mission that's the wrong way to do it isn't it but it's not telling us that we can't do righteous judgment or charitable judgment I guess is what you call but there is a part of us that says with this judgment, we have to have meekness, don't we? And if you remember your Beatitudes, meekness means what? It's not weakness. It means control. It means you're controlling yourself. Getting close, so I'll have to go through these. Uh, laziness. Uh, too lazy to do it. Some people are tolerant. They go, well, it's the old... Uh, Put your head in the sand and just, you know, let it go. It's no big problem. And then 
we don't really know if we should do it, kind of what was said on there, but I'm getting ready to give you the number one, the number one result. What do you think that is? He wins the silver. Jonathan wins the silver. What do we end up doing? We end up putting everything on the shepherd. That's not what the Christian life is, is it? When you look at what is required to be a shepherd, everything applies to you and I except the husband of one wife, right? It's to women and all of us. So it's up to us to do it too. Any questions about this? I'm seeing we're getting the signal because the doors are open. Thank you for your comments.